Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we continue our study of the first book of Kings, chapter 9. That is, Melachim Aleph Perek Tes. We just completed in the last chapter, in chapter 8, Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon's tefillah, his prayer for the Beit HaMikdash, for the temple, and how he envisioned the purpose and mission of the temple itself and his prayer to God. In this chapter, we will read God's answer to Shlomo's prayer. Now, it's an important point to make that everything and all of the new innovations that Shlomo had made regarding this temple were not commanded by God himself. These are things that Shlomo designed of his own mind, on his own. This is very different from the tabernacle in the desert, which almost to every detail was designed and instructed by God to Moshe, to Moses. So here God gives Shlomo his answer. And let's read this. First one, And it happened when Shlomo completed building the house of God, the temple, and the house of king, the palace. And all of the things... <coughs> that Shlomo had desired, that he wanted to make. In other words, it makes it clear that these things were Shlomo's plan, Shlomo's desire that he had wanted to do. And when he had finished the building, the following occurred. Verse 2, And God appeared to Shlomo, to, Sol- <coughs> excuse me, to Solomon for a second time. Just had he had appeared to him, in Giv'on. In Giv'on was where Shlomo received his first prophecy, where he asked God for wisdom. Here is his second prophecy. So the, the inference here is that Shlomo used his wisdom to build an achieve, uh, the kingdom and to build the Jerusalem as a center for wisdom, a center for learning, a center for international commerce, to build up uh, to build up his alliances, and so on. And then he used his wisdom to build the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, his palace, and everything else that he built. And now <coughs> he prayed that this temple should be a center of worship, a place for, for people to direct their hearts and improve their lives and improve themselves <coughs> in order to um, receive divine guidance in this world. Um, and now God appears to him again with the following answer. And God said to him, I have heard your prayer. <coughs> I have heard your supplications. That you supplicated, that you said, that you begged before me. And I have now made holy. In other words, all the consecrations we do on this world means nothing until God says from above, yes. I, I approve of this holiness. I have made this house that you have built. I will place my name there forever, meaning <coughs> I'll agree. This will be the place where people can direct their hearts in order to serve the one true God. And my eyes and heart shall be there paying attention to what is done there for all time. However, it's not that simple. It has to be a two-way street. Verse 4, And you, and here that's, he's referring to Shlomo as a king, 
if you walk before me, kasher halachta vidah vich avicha v'tam levav v'yosher. If you walk in front of me the same way your father David did, with a pure and complete heart, and with straight yosher is up, is sometimes translated as uprightness. It means yosher, straightness, honesty. And you will do as everything as I have commanded you, chukai, my laws and mishpatai tishmar, and my my rules you will keep. Then al Yisrael olam. Then my the throne of kingship will be uh, uh, forever over Israel. Kasher dibarti al David just like I said to David, your father, that there shall not be cut off any man, in other words, any descendant from the throne of, of over Israel. However, but if you turn, meaning you take a different course, you and your sons from before, me, and you don't keep my laws and my rules <coughs> that I'm putting in front of you. And you go and you worship other gods, and you will bow to them. Then, then not only will I take you down from your kingdom, but I will cut off the entire nation of Israel from this land that I have given to them. And this house that I have made holy for my name and my honor, I will get rid of this house, I will send it away from me. And Israel will be an example, a, 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 a people, an example that people use, a, a proverb that people say among all the nations that this is what happens when someone disobeys God. And this house, which will be soon, you know, now that it's built, it will be above, it will be high, it will be so exalted. At this point. <coughs> Whoever passes this place will will just be uh, appalled and will just just screech or or hiss. The Amru and say, How could God have done this? Destroyed it and made it so desolate, this land and this great house that was once so great. The Amru and they'll say, Why is this? Because they abandoned the Lord their God. That took their forefathers from the land of Egypt. And they went to other gods. And they bowed to them. And they served them. Which is why God brought upon them all of this evil, all of this bad tidings. This is um, something that we saw mirrored in, not mirrored, uh, in this prophecy fulfilled and fulfilled to this day. Where the entire theology of the uh, Christian and to a lesser degree, but also Muslim world is that the the um, Jewish people um, were are abandoned because we did not keep God's rules. We did not live faithfully. Um, this uh, is what the fulfillment of that prophecy that we see to this day. The um, obviously there are other prophecies. That's not the end of the story. The story of return, the story of redemption, but that's not what God is speaking about here. He's speaking about what's going to happen if we don't behave ourselves. So this was that was God's. I'm sorry, but that uh, that was God's response to Shlomo's prayer. He said, "Yes, I will listen, but on the condition that you, as kings and the people, as people, 
stay loyal to me and live the way I'm commanding them to live. So now, um, as we see, God was a little more patient than he indicated here, because we'll see soon in, Shlomo, in Shlomo's own life, it wasn't so, he wasn't so faithful, as we'll see soon. And, uh, and then other kings that followed Shlomo, other descendants of his, many of them, not all of them, but many of them were very um, much idolatrous, and God was patient for a while, but after a while, this uh, prophecy is what came true. So let's go on to verse 10. It was at the end of 20 years that he had built the two houses, meaning his own and the temple, his palace and the temple at Beit Adonai at Beit HaMelech. And Chiram Melech Tsar, Chiram, the king of Tyre, who was such a close ally of Shalomo, we're starting to feel now the cracks, the cracks in Shlomo's kingdom. We've just reached the height, we've reached the building of the temple, and now we're starting to see the, the cracks. He built these alliances, and one of his key alliances, well, two of his key alliances, one was with Pharaoh by marrying his daughter, and we, uh, and we learned about how important that alliance was, and, but uh, possibly more important was the, his alliance with Hiram, the king of Tyre, and especially because he supplied all the raw materials needed for all the Shlomo's construction projects. And Shlomo had um, made a deal with him. Nisa at Shlomo, He who, the Hiram, the king of Tyre, who had supplied Shlomo with all of the cedar wood and, and cypress wood and gold, in exchange gave him 20 cities in northern Israel near the boundaries of Tyre's kingdom in what's modern day Lebanon. Chiram left Tyre to check out the towns that Shlomo had given him. And he didn't like the towns. He didn't like them. So here we start seeing a crack in this extremely important alliance. Um, we don't see here, we're not going to see here what Shlomo did to mend this crack, if anything, how deep this rift was. We get the sense now that it was just Hiram, mm, I don't know, I don't know how great this is. And he said, what are these cities? He still refers to Shlomo as Achi, my brother, right? But I don't like these cities. And he called them a land that is Kavul, which typically means Kavul is something that's locked up. So exactly what does he mean, the land that's locked up? Maybe he means it doesn't produce grain. Maybe he means um, it's not easy to access. Maybe it means, uh, you know, not easy to, to traverse these lands. Or There's all kinds of uh, traditions what it means, but it's clearly a derogatory name, Arayomazen, that name stuck until this day. Nonetheless, despite the fact that he wasn't happy with what he got, he still sent the King Shlomo, 120 talents measurement of gold. And um, this, the following, is the, is the reason for the mas, which is, which is forced labor, which is the labor that uh, the people were obligated to commit that Shlomo took. Uh, um, uh, for, to build the house of God and his own house, Milo, and the Milo, which is very unclear what this Milo is, but we'll see it come up. Uh, it'll have a significant role to play soon. And the walls that surrounded Jerusalem, and other main towns in the, 
in the um, kingdom which are Chatzar, Megiddo, and Gazer, or Gezer. Other towns that were important aside from the capital Jerusalem in, the, in, in Shlomo's reign. Paro, Melech, Mitzrayim, Allah, and Pharaoh, Paro, the king of Mitzrayim, we mentioned before, he had captured the city of Gezer, presumably from its original Canaanite occupants. By and he burnt it in fire via Taknani, Ba'ir Harag. And the Canaanites that lived in the city he killed. And he had given it as a gift uh, for, to his daughter, who was the wife of Shlomo. So this was the alliance between Pharaoh and Shlomo. And we mentioned the alliance between Shlomo and Hiram. That, so that secures the northern and the southern borders, respectively. And Hiram helped pay and fund the, um, the, uh, the mass, the labor that Shlomo needed to build his, his, his building projects. By even Shlomo at Gazer, at Beit Charon Tachton. So Shlomo went ahead and built up the city that he just received, Gezer and Beit Choron, the lower Beit Choron, at Baalot, at Tadmar, Bamidbar, Baaretz, and another, other two towns in um, Tadmar is often, is sometimes identified with um, Palmyra, which is in modern-day Syria. Uh, but um, whether that means that here is not hard to know. And all of the towns that were fortified, towns in which Shlomo had troops, and the towns were of the chariots, and the towns where, uh, I'm sorry, Rechav is the riders, the horse riders, Parashim is chariots, and all the things that Shlomo wanted and desired to build, both in Jerusalem and in the Lebanon, in the northern parts of and all of the lands that were under his, <coughs> in his uh, kingship. Now, in verse 20, uh, if you recall back when we studied uh, the book of Joshua together, I mentioned a disagreement between <coughs> the early authorities, the Rishonim, between the Rambam, uh, Maimonides, and Nachmanides, specifically over the uh, requirement that the Torah gives to wipe out the seven nations the seven nations that made up the Canaanites that resided in the land when the people of Israel entered the land. The Rambam is emphatic in, in his opinion, and Maimonides is emphatic in his opinion, that it was required <coughs> to, prior to waging war on any town, to surround the town and give them the option to uh, accept upon themselves uh, to uh, reside peacefully, to accept them upon themselves the Sheva Mitzvah Pnei Noach, allegiance to God, allegiance to basic morality, and that in those cases they would pay a tax and become part of the empire. <coughs> Rama made that clear. The other, some other commentaries did not understand it that way and felt that they were supposed to be wiped out. What we're about to read is one of the strongest proofs to Rambam, and because I read the entire book of Joshua that way, and I recommend if you haven't yet heard my podcasts on Joshua to go ahead and listen to them, that the following what we're about to read <coughs> is very much um, <coughs> a support of Maimonides, and it's very difficult to even understand this in any other way. This is verse 20. All of the nation that were remained from the Amorites, Hachiti and the Hittites, Aprizi and the Prizites, Hachivi and the Jebusites and the Hivites, 
Asher lo mibnei Yisrael hema. They were not from the Israelites, but they lived in that land. Beneim asher notzrachoyim ba'aretz. Their descendants who lived, um, who followed, you know, their footsteps and lived in the land of Israel. Asher lo yachlu bnei Yisrael la'acharimam. That the people of Israel were not able to destroy them. And why were they not able? It doesn't make sense to say that Shlomo at the height of his kingdom didn't have the ability to get rid of them. If he wanted to execute them, he certainly could have. Given the picture that we've just portrayed of Shlomo, Shlomo's might and power, but it was loyachlu because they had agreed to let them live in peace, and they were obligated to let them live in peace as long as they were subservient to and taxpayers to and paid their part in supporting the people of Israel in their land. Shlomo made them uh, made them have to give a required amount of labor to the kingdom until this day. Remember, and early on, we had the impression that Shlomo was, um, that the people much more willingly participated in Shlomo's early building projects. But now, all of a sudden, we're talking so much about how much Shlomo had to force people to work. Again, a hint of the cracks beginning to develop in Shlomo's reign. At the height, we've just reached the height, we're starting to see the cracks. His allies aren't so happy. They're still allies, but they're not so happy. His people aren't, don't seem to be working. So instead of his people, he looks to the second-class citizens, so to speak, the others, those that they're living in the protection of the land, but they're, they're strangers in the sense that they're not part of the, popu- of, the, of the majority culture. They're the minority. So he makes them work. And from the people of Israel, he didn't make them work. So Shlomo is creating a two-class society here. Um, uh, and so again, we're starting to see cracks, and all of these cracks are going to widen and break out into all-out mess later on, not so much in Shlomo's life, but in the time that succeeds Shlomo, the time after Shlomo, which we will, of course, read about together as we go through the Book of Kings. But it's important to note that in this chapter, we're reading of how these cracks and fault lines are starting to develop, even during this time of Shlomo's kingdom. Why is it that the people of Israel, he did not make them work, in other words, to work in their building projects? Because they were the warriors and the soldiers. So the, the, uh, as is often the case, the upper classes are serving in the military, in the, in the arms of the government, which has the military power to enforce their leadership. They were his servants and, and officers and, and assistants. And the people in charge of the cavalry and the chariots. Then the, the, these, uh, uh, the following are those who, in other words, who were in charge of the work of Shlomo. So those were also of the people of Israel. 550 harodim ba'am that were in charge of making the general public uh, 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 work. Those were the ones who did the work. So they were ruled by about 550 uh, uh, people in charge of the workers. Achbat Paro, however... The daughter of Paro, you know, the quintessential foreigner, but one who brought a significant amount of peace and territory into the new kingdom because of the alliance that Shlomo solidified by marrying her, Alsame Ir David, she left Ir David, um, El Besa, to her house. Because remember, he had built her a palace similar to his own palace. 
Um, to the house that Shlomo had built for her, at that was the time when he built the Milo. Exactly what the Milo is, again, is unclear. Um, some understand this the Milo as a, a place open to the public, a public place of congregation. Um, so, some understand it as a place for, um, for Paro, and uh, for the daughter of Pharaoh to, to make uh, places for her, her servants and her family and so on to stay. And um, so it, it's not 100% clear what this Milo exactly is. But regardless, um, we will we'll get a little bit more understanding of the Milo as we get past Shlomo's life and shooting ahead a couple chapters. Um, we're going to be discussing at length um, uh, a little bit more about the Milo and its and its effect on the future of Shlomo's kingdom. But clearly Shlomo is building this and it's related to the daughter of Paro. And those are the important facts that we need to take keep in mind right now. Um, but but somehow it was related to to uh, Pharaoh's daughter and somehow this was uh, meant to prop her up and give her something nice and special. And three times a year, um, presumably these are the three Chagim, the three holidays, uh, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Um, he would bring Olotu Shlamim, burnt sacrifices and peace sacrifices, on the, on the altar, Asher Banal Adonai, that he had built for God. And he brought incense. Uh, together with those sacrifices on the on the altar that was before God, that's the in- altar of incense, which is in the before God, meaning it's inside the holy part, Vishilam at the bias. And he made sure that the house, the Beit Hamikdash, the temple, was in was in good shape. He made sure that it was maintained and kept up well. We'll see later. There were of course times when the maintenance of the building was not kept up well. But it's telling us here that Shlomo made sure to, to maintain it. He didn't just build it and then neglect it. Vani asa, I'm sorry, va'ani, uh, not ani, va'ani asa shahamelach Shlomo betun gever, asher et elot al svat yamsuf beretz adom. What this means is uh, he made ships, he made boats, ani from the language of aniot, he made ships in etzion gever, which is near Eilat. Which is on the the shore of the Yamsuf of the Sea of Reeds, uh, generally understood to be the Red Sea, the Eretz Edom in the land of Edom. Uh, some assume that this is approximately where the modern Israeli city of Eilat is, and ships there would open up a trade route to um, to Africa, to the lands of Ethiopia. Much a quick route that would bypass land routes through Egypt and modern-day Sudan to the very wealthy and very powerful nations that were then in the area of Africa, now known as uh, the Horn of Africa and the lands of Ethiopia, what's modern-day Eritrea. These were places he wanted to trade with, and possibly even farther out into the oceans. Who knows how far out? Who knows maybe even as far as India? But these ships would have had the ability to traverse very long distances, and uh, making a, a um, to this day, the port of a lot is important for that reason. And how did Shlomo know how to navigate such great distances? And how did he know how to navigate the seas? 
Well, Hiram, who was in Tyre, who had very uh, men who were experienced at the sea. Of course, they were more experienced at the Mediterranean Sea, but they would know how to take long voyages by sea. They would know how to operate boats on open ocean. Hiram sent his servants down, uh, those that knew how to go in the sea, together with the servants of Shlomo, presumably to teach them also, so that Shlomo could then make use of his new port. By a Ophira, and they came to Ophira, which is a place where there were known to be gold mines. Where exactly this is is not made clear. Possibly in Africa, where we know there were many um, uh, uh, places that were very wealthy and still are today with gold. And they took gold from there. As much as 420 talents. And they brought all this gold to Shlomo. Uh, this concludes chapter 9, and it's interesting that this lead-in um, uh, to the next chapter, which we're about to learn, is the famous incident of the Queen of Sheba, who is assumed to be from somewhere in, near modern-day or in modern-day Ethiopia. Uh, it's, it's showing us now how Shlomo made these trade contacts by opening his port in Eilat. So this would be an clo- argument, the assumption that that this a lot is the same, or at least almost the same as modern day a lot, is a reasonable assumption to make. And Shlomo continues to build his kingdom, to continues to build his contacts. And when we're going to learn about the episode of the meeting between the Queen of Sheba and Shlomo in the next chapter 10. The cracks that we are starting to see form in Shlomo's kingdom will not yet break open uh, and not yet tear the kingdom apart. But the seeds have been sown for the, some of the disasters which we're going to see in the future, mostly after Shlomo passes from the scene. But we still got a significant amount of time before we see that happen. Thank you so much for studying Chapter 9 together with me. Looking forward to studying Chapter 10 of the Book of Kings and the entire book together. Have a wonderful day.